I was thinking as we were singing, I remembered a couple of weeks ago, Tobiah, when he came up and read and prayed and he jumped off the stage in joy that it was over. I can certainly identify with that. <laughs> At some point in the next two hours, I may do the same thing. Uh, I wondered have you, if anybody can identify, if you've ever, perhaps of an evening, or maybe you get awake at night and you're thinking about something that's coming up the next day, you make a decision that you're going to, how you're going to handle it or what you're going to do. If it's a meeting, you're going to speak out, share something. Um, so you've, you've made up your mind. You go back to sleep or you go to bed and you wake up the next morning and you think, what was I thinking? Like, who was that guy or girl? Uh, your perspective is so different the next morning, you can't even believe you actually thought that the night before. Welcome to mine. <laughs> that happened several months ago that, that I knew I was going to be doing this, so pretty much not a day has gone by that I haven't thought about this very moment. And now it's finally here, so here we go. So what am I doing up here today? No, that sounded rhetorical. I'm really asking. I have no idea. <laughs> no, I'll try to share. Uh, I talked to a couple. There, there wouldn't have been very many here, but how many do remember? It was 15 plus years ago I spoke on a Sunday night. Anybody that would have been here, um, you may remember that. I was going to share how that came about. It's kind of similar how it came about that, I was, that I'm up here again today. Uh, so I was finishing my senior year out at Northwest Missouri State in Maryville. I was subletting, I had to take some summer classes to finish up. I was subletting an apartment actually from Amy Whetstone, another local girl. We went to school together. She was home and had an apartment, so it worked out. Uh, just a small basement apartment. Again, summertime at a college town, not a whole lot going on. So it seemed like I was pretty well either in class or I was in that apartment. It, it became a time... Um, for whatever reason, where I was really seeking the Lord. I was praying a lot, reading a lot, watching a lot of uh, preachers on TV and that kind of thing, the good ones. Um, and as things would convict me, I would kind of start thinking, man, that'd be really good for the church to hear. You know, it was good for me to hear. I think it'd be great for the church to hear that too. Uh, as time went on, that kind of kept getting more and more. I would think those things. And I, I would even get awake in, at night wouldn't be able to go back to sleep. I'd be thinking about, you know, the things that were that had convicted me again and, and thinking about, you know, sharing that with the church. And before I knew it, I'd actually be preaching. Anybody that's ever spoken, you can preach a really good sermon by yourself. <laughs> I told Reed, my steering wheels and my vehicles, they're on their way to heaven because I've preached <laughs> so many sermons to them in the last couple of months. Um, but anyway, that's what was happening, and it was happening more and more, and it got to the point where I finally thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk to Pastor Schultz, who was here then, uh, when I get back, you know, my next break, or next weekend, and so I went into him on a Sunday evening and told him exactly what I just told you, you know, I, I don't really know what to do, this is what's happening, expecting him to give me some kind of advice or, you know, what I could do to help with that, and he reaches in his, he didn't say a word, reached in his desk drawer, and he pulled out a booklet, Opens it up, it's a calendar. Well, these are the Sundays coming up, which one do you want? <laughs> no, no, you misunderstood me. I, I need help here with this situation. And that was his help. He's putting me up here. Didn't even, no, no, no question. So, 
So I did. Uh, again, that was 15 plus years ago. I thought it, I thought it was a it went really well. I thought it was a good sermon, good good uh, night of worship, and we had a good altar time after. I remember feeling such a a weight off my shoulders, and I'm sure a lot of it was just because it was over with, but I really felt, too, like I had done what God had wanted me to do all along. Uh, I thought it went, again, went over really well, and I was pleased that I had done it. And in, so in recent years, that, that same type of stuff has happened, too. Uh, you know, I would talk to Nicole a lot about, you know, messages that I felt like, you know, it'd be good for the church to hear that. And, you know, so I would be awake at night thinking that through, but it never really seemed like the time to come forward and, you know, say that to Pastor Isaiah. Um, and a lot of it was because I was afraid that he'd do the same thing <laughs> Pastor Schultz did. And here I would be. Um, but, so a few months ago, when we knew he was going to be taking this trip at a board meeting, I, I was driving home that night, and I really felt like God was saying, this, this is your time again. You need, to, you need to step out. And so I'm thinking, as I'm driving home, do I, should I text him? I'm, even, I'm talking with God, and I'm now God, you realize if I send the text, they're going to expect me to actually do that, you know. Yes, I realize. And so I sent the text. And what was encouraging, I think it's appropriate to share with you guys, is Isaiah responded, and he, said, he, was, getting, he was going on a, a several-hour drive the next day, and he said, it, you know, just God, but on the way, or I was planning to set aside time on my way tomorrow to think about how I was going to ask you to speak while I was gone. So that was encouraging, you know. God works. Uh, so with that, that, my disclaimer is, I am not a preacher. Um, it's even strange, you know, I talked with the kids, They're, they were all nervous for me, nervous with me for this coming up, but as I would say, I'm preaching tomorrow, it just seems weird, or even that I have a sermon, I, I don't, that that's not, doesn't really fit for me, I don't think, um, I guess I would say more it's a message, uh, I'm just speaking, it's, I'm speaking my heart, I'm not a, I'm not a pastor, not a preacher. I don't give sermons. Um, this is just me sharing my heart with you. I would not be up here if I didn't feel like God was forcing me to be up here. Uh, I, I am nervous. I've been nervous all the time leading up to this. So, so I'm here strictly in what I believe is obedience to God. That, so, so I hope that it blesses somebody. I hope it's good for, for all of us to hear. And with that, I wrote a little note so I wouldn't forget it. Uh, I'd like to pray before I actually get into my sermon. So if you'll join me, I would sure appreciate it. Father God, as I've shared, uh, this, is not, this is not easy for me as I've spoken with you many times leading up to this. I must have your help. So I'm calling out to you, Lord, hear my prayer and be with me. Um, I just want to do what you would have me to do. So I just pray that the words that I speak will be from you, um, and you will give me clarity, you'll give me words, you'll give me peace as I move through this message. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the first half, the overall of this, I guess it kind of comes from a 
quote that I heard many years ago that, again, was convicting for me, so, so I'm bringing that. I've got that quote in my message. Um, I chose to open and then share the quote as I was coming up here this morning. I was actually thinking, maybe I should have let off with that quote. But no, I've preached it too many times to my steering wheel to change now. So um, my opening comes from a place of concern or fear that there are um, people existing, living in churches today. If you were to ask them, they would say, yes, I'm a Christian, or they would profess to be a Christian, and yet I'm not sure they truly are. Now, that's a bold statement for someone who's not even a pastor to come up and make. Uh, a couple things I'll share that, that kind of lead me to think that. One, um, I haven't seen any recent statistics, but I know for a long time, um, just in our country, the sheer number of people who would say, I'm a Christian, if you were to ask them, it, tons, uh, you know, a vast majority of people, if you ask them, that's what they would say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe if there was even close to a majority of that number that was truly living a Christian life, our country would not be in its current situation. So that's one thing that makes me think that. Um, the other is just the number of churches that are closing. The number of churches that are cutting Sunday school, that are cutting Sunday nights, that are cutting Wednesday nights. They're down to one service in a week. I just I struggle with that. If people are truly serving God and, and living the Christian life, why are all these churches, even around here, closing and cutting services? So I think there's evidence out there that there are, there are people that are in that situation that, that would profess to be a Christian and yet truly aren't living that life. And that's a fearful thing, especially if they're in our churches on a weekly basis hearing sermon after sermon and they, they have a sense of security in their salvation but really may not be there. That's, that's a fear, that's a concern that I have. Um, how, do we, how did we get here? I think a lot of it, well, I don't know how much of it, but part of it, I think, anybody that's grown up in a church, when you hear a, a salvation sermon or an altar call given, so much of the time it's presented as, <clears throat> repeat after me, say this prayer, walk the aisle, maybe don't walk the aisle, maybe just raise your hand, maybe stay where you are, but pray this prayer and you'll be saved. I'm not, again, I'm not faulting anybody, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm sure there's a lot of people who have given their life to Christ through those methods. But I just fear that after that, there's nothing. Those people walk back out the door we don't even know for sure which ones did or didn't. Much less do we help them, okay, you gave your life to Christ. You didn't give him that 30 seconds. But they don't, they don't think that at all in their mind. They think, I've done what the preacher said. He's a preacher. He told me that, so I'm good to go. And they live the rest of their life that way. They stand strong on Romans 10.9 and similar verses. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what? You will be saved. Now, I fully believe that same scripture. 
so I'm not arguing with that at all. But then you've also got to, I believe, look over at James 2. And these are all, every scripture that I share, I know this is a different, again, because it's not a, maybe a sermon. I'm not sharing a scripture and then, and then discussing it. These are just scriptures I'm sharing along the way. You can flip to them or you can read them on the screen, jot them down, whatever. But it's faith and works. It's the scripture that we've all heard before. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And this next line is what ties back to Romans 10.9 for me. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. That honestly tells me that demons may have more belief than some of us because they're fearful of the Lord. Um, so, again, I'm not a biblical scholar. Excuse me, i got to get a drink. <laughs> I chose not to do bottles because I didn't figure I could get my hands to work well enough to <laughs> get the lid off of it. Um, but I'm just, so I'm just presenting that. I'm presenting you with two scriptures. I'm not going to stand up here and, and preach on the fine lines that may be involved in that. Um, because I do believe Romans 10.9, if you believe. Uh, we just read in our Bible reading plan, I don't remember uh, the text, those that call on the name of the Lord will be saved. I mean, that's pretty simple. That's cut and dried, and that's how it's often presented, and then it's left there. Um, so I'm presenting you with something else that says, I believe if you do believe and confess, then there's things about your life that's going to be different. I believe it has to be. I don't think you can say I'm a Christian and be living the exact same way as you were before or as people of the world live. <clears throat> so with that, I'll get to um, the quote. Who else but Spurgeon? Uh, I think it was when Nicole and I were attending a church in Hannibal, I think it was our Sunday school preacher, teacher um, that sent this quote to me that I will share, if you'll put that up there. So this is Charles Spurgeon. Beware of presuming you are saved. That's pretty sobering <laughs> right out of the gate, and that's how it hit me. Beware of presuming you are saved. If your heart is renewed... If you hate the things you once loved and love the things you once hated, if you have really repented, if there is thorough change of mind within you, then you have reason to rejoice. But if there is no vital change, no inward, inward godliness, no love to God, no prayer, no work of the Holy Spirit, then the statement, I am saved, 
And this is really sobering. It's only your own assertion, and it may delude you, but it will not deliver you. That's heavy. (laughs) For me, that's very, very weighty. And that is my fear that there are people in the second half of that, quote, living. Now, I don't want to cause anybody who is secure in their salvation to second-guess themselves. Uh, I've been there, and that's not what I want to do here. If you, if, the, if you read the first half of that and you feel like that's true and that describes you, rejoice. That's what it says. That's great. Um, have confidence in that. So don't, if that's you, don't let this bring a fear about in you or questioning yourself. But if you are in that second half, then I do pray the Holy Spirit works through that. I do pray that that's sobering for you and will bring you uh, to a place of true repentance. So the rest of my sermon, regardless of which side of that you fall on, I said sermon, rest of my message, regardless of which side of that you fall on, this should be for you. It should be uh, good, I hope, and I hope, and believe it will be. So if we look at that and we all agree, okay, if we are truly saved, if we've truly given our life to Christ, we would agree things should be different. What should we look like? Or what shouldn't we look like? And I'll go to Romans 12 for that. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. I believe just living daily as a Christian is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We all have our versions of Scripture, perhaps the ones we've memorized or the ones we read growing up. Uh, The one I think of says, do not conform to what? The pattern of this world. To me, a summary would be live a Christian life live differently. The pattern of the world, do not conform to the pattern of the world, tells us, tells me we should look different. People should be able to tell they're a Christian. It's not our place to judge. I'm not saying that because you never know. There can be people that look an awful lot like a Christian that may not be. So that's not what I'm talking about. But you should still look differently than someone living completely in the world. Um, So we all have friends, family, co-workers, maybe even close friends that we know, and they would tell you they're not Christians. They're not living a Christian life. They have no desire to live a Christian life. So if you know that person, and you are lining yourselves up 
side by side, what would be different between you? Because so many times that best friend we have that's not saved, we live pretty identical lives to them. What would be different? Maybe a few Sunday mornings here and there. Clearly, they're not going to be here ever, and we go once in a while. You might even look at your pocketbooks. Clearly, they're not going to be tithing ever, and here you may have a few times, or maybe all the time. You may be faithful in that. It should be deeper than that. That shouldn't be the only differences you see between yourself professing to be a Christian and your best friend, who's not at all. I've said many times, of course I am a part of our small group and Sunday school class. I'm sorry for those of you that are in those because you hear this kind of stuff from me all the time. And I've shared this many times. If a person you know pretty well finds out or is surprised to find out that you profess to be a Christian, that's a problem. That should be concerning for you. Uh, Sean and I were talking a while back on the phone. I guess he was trying to save me. <laughs> no, we were just visiting, and he shared with me a quote he had heard from a pastor that he likes to listen to. I'd heard it before, but it's, it's very, very good. If you were brought in a court of law and accused of being a Christian, what's the rest of it? Would there be sufficient evidence to convict? Would you have enough people in your life, friends, family, co-workers, that would come and share, yes, in my opinion, I'm not a judge of his soul, but in my opinion, the way that man or woman lives, they're a Christian. Or would there be no one that would be able to stand up and say that for you? Would the judge in the end have to say, you know, not enough here. Not enough evidence for me to say that you're truly living the Christian life. Who we are, our goals, what we're striving for, just how we react, how we respond. Because there's plenty of things out in the world that we can react and respond to, right? The way we do should look differently than someone who professes no relationship with the Lord. What are our goals? What are we chasing after? That should look different. So if we're not conforming to the world, what should we look like? I'll go back to Scripture for that. Um, where would you go in Scripture if you were looking for a group of people, perhaps a church, that was living correctly? For me, that's Acts 2. It's all there. <clears throat> Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those <clears throat> who were being saved. That sounds pretty radical. Radical is the word we used, or it's the study we did in small group now several years ago, and we discussed that scripture. Even sounds a little socialist. No thanks, right? That's how many of us would, would feel about that. I'm not, I don't, I'm not sure about selling everything I own and giving it. And that's kind of what we talked Excuse me. That's kind of what we talked about in that study. I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I'm not sure I'm ready to do that. The more I've read that, even recently, I'm not sure that's really what was going on here. When I read that, I picture a group of people, call them a church, living life together, seeking the Lord together, with common goals of growing as Pastor Isaiah always says from, can't remember the scripture, growing in grace and knowledge of the Lord. That's the goal. And that's what they had. That's what they shared. Um, so what is this selling possessions? I believe it would be very similar to me going to any one of you and saying, can't feed my kids. You know, we've hit a rough patch. Our heat's off. We're freezing. We're starving help us. Well, what are you going to do? I believe most of you that I would go to would, how much you need? Write me a check, cash, several hundred dollars, whatever it would take to get me back on track. <coughs> so things were different then. They didn't have bank accounts with money. It wasn't maybe so easy as just writing a check. But what did they have? They had extra things. Maybe a few more livestock. Is that me, Heather? Maybe they had a few extra sheep, cattle, whatever it would be. So if I go to you in the old church, the Acts church, that's what you do. I don't have any extra money, but take those sheep, whatever you need, because that's what it says, as any had need. So I don't, I don't think it was necessarily they were again, selling everything and putting it all in a pot and, and living a socialist colony there. I think they were living life together. They cared for each other. It appears to me they were together pretty often. Probably more than one hour on a Sunday morning would be my guess there. Could be wrong, but that's how I feel. Also, Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. They built their lives around the church and the activities within. The church wasn't somewhere they went on occasion. The church is who they were. They were living life together, seeking the Lord. 
lifting each other up, stirring one another to love and good works. Um, they were human. This isn't some make-believe church. These people existed. That's where Isaiah's at right now, where they were people existing. They probably didn't see eye to eye on every single thing they did. There was probably things that happened that I don't really agree with how we're doing that. But they stayed the course. And that course was seeing people reached, growing the church, loving one another, focusing on God. The one thing in recent years that I have felt, there is nothing that goes on around me that has an impact on what goes on between me and God. There is nothing that keeps me from worshiping and focusing on God but me. Nothing. It doesn't matter if I agree with everything that's happening. If I go along with everything that's happening, if I'm happy about everything that's happening, I can stand and worship God and grow in God. Not neglecting to meet together. Folks, that's why the churches are closing. People aren't coming. Who's going to tell you who's... You have jobs, you have school, you have teams you're a part of, you have committees you, you serve on, you have boards you serve on. If you don't go to those places, there's consequences. There's worldly consequences. You're not going to be allowed to serve or be on the team if you're not there, right? What happens if you don't come to church on Sunday? Might get a text from the pastor, might get a text from another church member, hey, missed you, yeah. We were tired, had a long week, gotcha, maybe next week. Pretty simple, right? We can all withstand that on occasion. It's the one thing in our lives that's pretty easy to skip. There are, I believe there are spiritual consequences, but the worldly consequences, pretty minimal, right? When we look at our week, What's the easiest thing to cut out? Coming to church. Going to the church events that we have set up. We spend a lot of time at the board meetings talking about what can we do? How can we get people to be here? And just a side note, I believe early next year we're going to be looking at our Wednesday night and Sunday nights and, and trying to figure out ways to make it work to get the most people to be able to be there. Number one, I hope that you're going to try to be there. But number two, if you have ideas, we'd love to hear them. We need you guys to help us grow, help us do things that, that keep people interested in coming. Um, when you look at your weekly schedule, I believe there should be at least three things. 
that are marked every week where you're going to be. We have Wednesday night. We have Sunday night. We have Sunday morning. That's easy for me to stand up here and say maybe, but I, I believe that's the way it should be. If you truly believe and you're, you're living the life you profess to live, you need to be gathering with the people just like they were in Acts 2. Find people to hold you accountable. Because who does truly hold you accountable to being at church? You, for the most part. Now, you may have a spouse. You may have kids that push you along. You may have a spouse that doesn't push you along. Nicole and I, when we were first married, I remember there were some times we would wake up on a Sunday morning, avoid each other, because if we didn't cross each other's paths, maybe the time would pass and we'd miss church. Now, that's funny. We look back at it now, and praise God, we don't have that problem anymore. It's not even a question. We don't, are, we, it's not a debate. We know those three times of the week, we're going to be there. Now, I will even, even as I'm saying these convicting words, I know there's people, there's schedules, there's work, there's things that make all this, this challenging. I'm not, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty for things they can't change about their lives or things they can't help. I'm just saying, it can't be the first thing we cut out. It just can't. If you want to grow and you want to see your church grow, you want to see the number of people being saved added, you got to be here. You got to commit. I will also say just being in church doesn't cut it. You can be here every Sunday. You can be the most vocal person in your Sunday school class and still be on the path not to heaven. I will share again, I know I'm running low on time, but uh, again, at the church Nicole and I attended in Hannibal, there was a couple uh, um, good friends of ours, good acquaintances. They were in, in our Sunday school class, in our small group, again, very vocal, shared a lot. If his trial of whether he was a Christian would have happened, I'd have been there witnessing that he was a Christian. And he came forward and said, I've been living a lie. For a long, long time, he attended church, and he knew full well he wasn't truly saved. The guts it took for him to walk that aisle, and that was a Baptist church we were attending at the time where you went forward and confessed. And that's what he said. He got baptized and gave his heart to the Lord. So just being here, you know, don't, don't let me present that just being in the church is the answer. Uh, it's coming with an open heart, coming with a, with a desire to see the Lord and grow in the Lord. That's, that's the difference. <clears throat> I believe that's all I have to say today. I hope... I hope it's been convicting if that's what God has for you. I hope it's not just been making you feel guilty. Isaiah and I talk about that a lot. Guilt in itself might make things change for a week or two. It's not enough to bring about lasting change. 
but it could be the catalyst. And if that's what God's using in your life today, I pray you respond to it. And just like every Sunday, that's what we're moving towards now, is an opportunity to respond. If you've heard these words today, and it has been convicting, deal with it. Don't let the moment pass. If God's calling you to make a change, make the change. Um, as we'll sing, I, I, I've, I know in my life I've felt many times, like I'm sure there's some of you feeling now, convicted, man, I really ought to go forward and pray. But as soon as this song's over, it'll be over. I can be back to my own life, my own world. And I won't feel that anymore, and I can escape one more day. Yeah, that's true. Again, you're the only one that's going to know that, you and God. Um, so during the song, if you feel the need to pray, to come forward, I pray you will. There's nothing magical about being up here. But there's something good about being up here. Uh, Reed and I have talked about that before. To me, there's two stages. One is just you stepping out in faith, and God honors that. Every time I do it, I immediately feel that. It's almost like he's your father. He's proud of you. You made a good choice. And I just feel like when you humble yourself and you go to your knees and you just present yourself to God as a sinner as we all are. There's something free in that experience. And I, I don't share that because I'm trying again to get you to do anything, but I want you to know how nice it is, how good it is. If you're feeling that, respond to it. Now's the time. I believe God's here as always waiting for you.